0: So we've decided to make this an international show, as we're about to talk about our first story in another country. What country? Well, lovely Canada, of course. Being on a border town, it's, it kind of seems fitting to discuss a wild story from a Canadian town, as many of the stories that we covered already from bootlegging, shipwrecks, and stuff like that does have some ties to Canada, and a heri- the heritage kind of in this area is very very prevalent in, in Canada. So uh this story is also a little bit something different than we've ever done before because we're actually going to cover an unsolved mystery case. Dun 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 there it is. I'm Matt. And I'm Meg. And miss is the Your Town Podcast. <laughs> town we're going to talk about is, that, uh, that had this unsolved case is an interesting name. It's called the Blind River, and it's in Ontario. Blind River is a town that's situated on the north channel of Lake Huron in the Algoma District in Ontario, Canada. Look at me pronouncing names correctly. Look at me not pronouncing names correctly. <laughs> and if you're, you know, not watching this on uh, on any of the social medias and just listening. We thank you as well. And big shout out to the Deluxe Edition Network. We are big fans of them. Check out the podcast of the month, Pro Quo, uh, Quad Pro Quo. So check them out, com links in all the descriptions. And also all of our sources are going to be down there as well. So, um, okay, back to pronouncing stuff wrong. The town is actually named after the blind River. Wow, shocking thing. There's a lot of history people that uh, just name towns kind of just after easy stuff. Population is about 3,400 according to a 2016 census. So, pretty small town with some wild stories because this town actually made headlines in 1991, which ironically, the Toronto Blue Days were really good in 1991 and um, because of this unsolved mystery case. Want to jump right into this? All right, and uh, sorry about all the flies attacking your coffee and studio. Uh, we'll have to get a hold of a pest control company and get rid of some flies. But either way, we have a 62-year-old Gordon or Gord McAllister and his 59-year-old wife Jacqueline or Jackie of Lindsay, Ontario. They decided, hey, we're going to go on a vacation across the lovely, lovely province and uh, country of Canada. They plan their visit. And they were going to kind of visit relatives along the way during the trip and everything. They even decorated their brand new camper with all these family photos so they can kind of make it home, you know, like homey and everything. Not like homies, but Mm homey. And we we really, we're campers, you know, just seems like a normal, hey, we're just gonna visit and, you know, have a piece of our family and just travel. A lot of people do it. A lot of people did it then, they still do it. I think when you have a camper too, it it does become kind of a second home. Mm Yeah, on June 27th, around the first leg of their trip. Excitement is there, not quite exhausted or whatever, but they're tired. And they said, Hey, we're going to go to the Blind River Rest Stop on Highway 17 near Riverbend, Ontario, just 85 miles from the U.S. Canadian border, which this town of Lindsay is kind of like Toronto. And from us, it would be closer to if you were to draw a line down on the map, it'd kind of be like near the Buffalo area, just put things in perspective over there over all the bodies of water and everything. So um, they arrived there. They walked around, and Gord thought that it was a nice, quiet little spot. It was along the uh, a river, Mississauga, mm-hmm. yeah, which ran next to this area. And, I mean, anybody that's traveled down highways and rest stops, these things are everywhere. Truckers are pulled over, and, you know, you tend to always think, you know, this is a pretty good place to stop. And, ha- and you have to think it, it was before the time when, You know, a lot of people would just randomly pop into a Walmart when they were allowing, you know, anybody and their brother could just sleep in a Walmart parking lot. This was before then. They're Um, usually pretty scenic, too. Pretty scenic, just a nice, quiet place. Uh, You just pull over for free, take a little nap, get back on the road because, you know, you don't want to be driving too long and and too tired. So, so they stop, you're sleeping. Now it is June 28th, 1991, Gordon Jackie. Um, they're the only two people in the Blind River, Ontario restaurant stop at this time. Around 12.55 a.m., they're sleeping peacefully when a man who identified himself as a police officer woke them up by pounding on their window. He told them they needed to move their RV. So Jackie opens the door. The man then barges in, demanding money, valuables, and everything else. He was armed with a twenty-two caliber rifle and a 20 gauge shotgun. Gun in each hand. And then apparently he said, I'm going to rob you, and then I'm going to kill you. Bernard and Jackie put all their valuables, including their ring, jewelry, cash, credit cards, into Jackie's purse. Jackie continued to beg not to hurt them, promising uh, that they would not tell anybody. She went to hand them the purse. She dropped it. She picked it back up, placed it next to him. The gunman pointed, one of the guns at her, and continuing to beg not to shoot her. Like the pleas, he did. Um, and we don't need to get into graphics about all that. Um, then Gord immediately jumps out of the camper, lands on the ground. The gunman fires at him. He rolls himself under the camper. But as all of this is going down, another call then, uh, car then pulls into the restaurant. The driver, 29-year-old Brian Donald Mayer, got out to kind of see what's going on. It doesn't seem right. Good citizen. Just trying to see what's happening. So then the gunman starts to approach him. He gets back into his car, tries to start the car. The gunman gets in front of the car and shoots him. And we windshield. While all of this is going on, Gord is laying under the camper and just kind of hoping and praying that the gunman would just leave. Fortunately, he does. Then he gets into his vehicle, flees the scene. And um, we're, we're going to get into, I guess, what the, the vehicle is and, and some more stuff here in a minute. But let's take a moment. There's a lot going on here. Being a guy that camps, being a guy that... Uh, I don't know if I want to pull into a rest stop, though. No. Yeah. It's a little scary. It's... Very scary. In a lot of these places, you know, it's not like there's cameras everywhere. And the time was sort of different. I mean, maybe there's dash cams now that help with the situation. Cell phones, stuff like that, that could potentially help a little bit more technology. has advanced a lot since 91. But I just couldn't imagine being gored. And then the potential fallout from, you know, all these people that are on the internet that are super tough. Like, can't believe he didn't do anything to protect his wife. He just laid under there. And this, I just... And the good citizen—that you know, wrong, wrong place, wrong time. Just hmm. unbelievable. Uh, and even even Gord was uh, Gord was quoted saying, "And I was I was lying there, just praying to God that he'd keep on running, and he did. As soon as he went by, I rolled back and got up, got into the motorhome, and drove out onto the highway. I knew I had to get onto the highway. I needed to get small. So immediately after the gunman leaves, obviously Gord gets on the highway, just hoping to find some help. He knew that uh, his wife had been shot, wounded pretty bad, but as he stumbled to the road, he didn't realize that he had actually been shot as well. He had been shot twice, once in the back, once in the foot. So it was then a race against time. He was able to flag down several motorists who went and called for help, but unfortunately, it was too late. Jackie was already passed away. Gord did survive his wounds, but, I mean, they've been married 39 years. Uh, It would have been 39 years September of 1981. After he learned that she had passed, he just you know, broke down, obviously. Uh, he just hit the lowest of lows, and he just, he just couldn't imagine. I mean, Unfortunately, the um, the innocent bystander there, Brian, also was pronounced dead at the scene. He was less than a half-hour drive from his home in Elliott Lake. He left behind a wife and a young son. Police officers tracking dogs, helicopters, immediately started searching the area. There was just no trace of the killer five days after the murders Ontario papers published a police artist drawing based on kind of Gord's description. Then shortly after a witness comes forward. He said that a few minutes after 1am on the night of the murders, a blue late model van peeled out of the rest area and headed straight toward his car, right towards his car that he actually had to avoid a collision getting out of the way of this van. Apparently the van was um, going dead East heading towards Sudbury, Ontario. The witnesses even matched what Gord said of the the potential suspect here. It then led police to believe that the van either belonged to the killer or someone who had seen what had went down at the rest stop. They couldn't decide what yet. The witness had uh, not seen whether the van had Canadian or U.S. license plates, which for anybody that doesn't know, they're a little bit different. The Canadian plates are typically white with blue writing, Um, Like a like a lighter blue, and at the time of this, I believe New York plates were also white with a dark blue. So it would be tough, especially late at night. I think the number and letter pattern is different too. Mm -hmm. The way that they're laid out. Yeah, so I mean, it's not easily you know, or like New York had a time where they went yellow license plates. You know, it wasn't vastly different. But uh, police checked out more than thirty five hundred blue vans on both sides of the border, and unfortunately, they came up with nothing. Bird will be able to point out the killer someday after he looked through hundreds of mugshots. No avail. Police turned into a more sophisticated kind of technology at the time, hoping to improve on the rough sketch of the killer. Five long hours. He painstakingly matched features from the computer's files against the um, you know the memory. I mean, this has got to be tough. You're mourning the loss of your wife but at the same point you want to find out who did this. Is having me go how oh, are hour, sitting in a police station, probably drinking terrible coffee, maybe some Tim Hortons. But just having to go through this, you know, pick out the eyes, pick out the nose, the chin, the hair, the forehead, I just couldn't imagine. But at the end of this, the killer's face did emerge. Court says that he will never forget the face of the killer. He does not believe that the crime was a robbery gone bad. There was no resistance to him. He truly believes that this person was out there to kill somebody for no reason. Awful. Awful. i be an understatement. Since the murder, he has believed that the killer was kind of going to come after him. He just had this, I guess, this, this weird feeling that, you know, he knew too much. He was going to lead to the, you know, arrest. So, because really, I mean, Gord is the only one that could identify him. So he was under police protection for quite some time. However, he's at the point um, when, when a lot of articles and, and later in life that um, he just truly didn't care. The killer came after him. He wondered if the killer kills him, maybe he would actually get caught this time. The killer is believed at the time to be, he was around 30 years old, 5'10", slight build. He was long, stringy blonde hair and a receding hairline. They're driving a blue or brown older model Chevrolet or GM van with white full-size mirrors and white mud flaps. The police suspected that he may have fled to the U.S. after the murders. They hoped that the guns used in the murders would have provided clues to his identity. Again, one was a 20-gauge shotgun firing number three buckshot. The other was a 22 caliber semi-automatic Lakefield Mossberg or a Winchester Cooey. So it's now June 1995. 48-year-old former police officer Ron Glenn West was arrested and charged in relation to five Violent robbery-related crimes that occurred in Canada, somewhere. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that is. Um, apparently, uh, earlier in '95, he um, went on this string of robberies and crimes that were very, very violent. We're going to leave a lot of the details of that, but he did plead guilty to those charges and was sentenced to eight years in prison. August '99, he was charged with the murders of two women in 1970 after DNA connected him to those crimes. Shortly afterwards, police identified him as a person of interest in the Blind River murders. When he was arrested in 95, he was living there, and his wife and children were also there with him. So there's some kind of uh, circumstantial evidence that links West to the crime. At the time of the murders, he lived about 12 miles away from the actual crime scene. He did own a 22 caliber rifle and a 20 gauge shotgun. The same type of weapons used in the murders his ex-wife also noted that he owned a blue van and looked pretty similar to the drawing that was put there but with a blonde wig finally he was a former police officer which would match up with the gunman who identified himself as such and there was a lot of kind of off articles and different stuff that i read that how he said it how he presented himself, was definitely something that a police officer would because only police officers are going to do it in a certain way and there was a whole bunch of you know things that went out to the public that said hey you know trust your gut feeling if, if something doesn't seem right it probably isn't right i mean most of the time these cops aren't going to just come and tell you to move at one o'clock in the morning and there was just a whole bunch of stuff that you know was there because there had to be a little bit of some panic in the public and, and especially people Canada is a pretty big country with not a lot going on in a lot of places so um, it, it was a good move on, on their part. That. But, uh, sadly, on February fourteenth, two thousand and twelve, or passes away at the age of eighty three, without ever seeing a resolution to his wife's murder. Mm-hmm. And as of everything that we've seen today on the internet mm-hmm. and doing some research, the killer still walks free today. OPP Staff Sergeant Dion, Diane, Diane, D i o n, and you say Dion, Dion. Dion the Provincial Media Relations Coordinator said that despite the case going cold, it still remains active and tips are still coming in on this case. And uh, just one thing that you see on a lot of shows and everything like that, just maybe you have a tip. Maybe you can, you know, help kind of bring some peace to this family. Any person having information regarding the person or persons responsible for the murders of Jacqueline McAllister and Brian Donald Major and the attempted murder of Gordon McAllister. You guys can contact the Director of Criminal Investigation Services, Ontario Provincial Police at one 310 1122 or 705-329-6111. Anyone with information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible is eligible for a total reward of $50,000. you want to remain anonymous, call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Where? You might be eligible to receive cash of up to $2,000. I'll find the person. Wouldn't that be wild? That would be wild. It would be wild. Let's find them. It just seems... And, and we watch a couple of crime shows, and it seems like as technology advances and everything, that they end up finding these people later. Maybe they're already in jail. Like, I'm just curious. It just seems wild that this cop, this ex-cop who's in jail, isn't the guy. Mm-hmm. Either way I feel like there's a lot of family too that tend to fight these yeah. unsolved crimes. Yep. And I Wonder if there's anyone doing that. Hopefully. Hopefully and hopefully they find it and uh it just seems I mean he's got the guns. He's a cop. He's in the area. What would you do? What would you would you like if like, a, if you thought it was a cop knocking on the window? What'd I do? I don't go away. I'm not gonna open so? it for you. Yeah, I'm not gonna open it for a cop. No way. At one o'clock in the morning. I don't care who it is. They're coming. Get away. Get away. It's the police. Well, go away. Talk to me in the morning. Wait it out. That's what I'm gonna do. Actually, now, now I'm just not gonna. St- <laughs> now I'm not going to sleep at a rest stop. All right. Let's. Uh, we always throw in a quote here, and I don't know my bra- my brain went to this one when I kept seeing Gorg. Obviously, everybody around here loves a tragically hip for some reason, and Gord doubt. Once said, I have no illusions of the future, or maybe it's all illusion. I don't know. I've always been ready for it. So we don't know if the future, in the future, if they're going to actually find this killer. Maybe close this case. But for all the families involved, we sure hope that they do. Our source is unsolved.com, unsolvedmysteries.fandom.com, Wikipedia, we love Wikipedia, Toronto.com for a little bit of that update and some recap, so... Hopefully they're able to bring justice to this and uh, just a wild, wild story that happened in a pretty small town in a very, very rural area. If you guys have any stories that you would love? Send them over to us on any of the social medias. We have a couple of stories being written by Zach and he might even make a random appearance in an upcoming episode. So again, thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Hopefully you have fun. Mm-hmm. This, was, uh, this was a wild one. This was a little bit of a tough one and a little bit different. If you guys end up liking this kind of new style. We're just kind of tossing stuff out that's fun for us. Hopefully, fun to listen to. And uh, shout out to Colin for the for the sweet tunes in the background of this episode. We'll put some links in the description for that as well. So we got you good. I'm good. Good. All right, we'll be back next week.